everybody we're back uh some of you guys seen us on saturday on the live stream and uh, some came to the vendor show um but yeah so which we didn't say the full time at the vendor show because it was like super cold <laughs> but it was a pretty good day um but so there's a lot of changes coming up and you guys will notice that pretty soon the name is going to be changing and so like any podcast apps that you have or, or like listen to us on and the social media is like you're going to see the name change uh, which we will be announcing it um, when we do but no worries we're still doing this we just decided to go after a different name but yeah there are a lot of like unapologetic podcasts yeah so so it wasn't as cute and as original as i thought it was when i picked it it's all good live and you learn which obviously we we started this just to have fun anyway so I had a pretty good time in Morgantown earlier. On my day off, I took advantage of it. And I seen like a few people I haven't seen in like, well, since starting my new job. So I stopped by and seen like three different people a day. <laughs> it's like, I don't know when the next time I'm going to see you. So I need to hang out with you real quick. Even if it's just for 30 minutes. <laughs> <sighs> so, yeah. And with one of my friends, we went to the book, uh, Books A Million. And, like, you know, like they have, like, that coffee shop that's in Books A Million. And we had frappes. And, like, they were good. But they still didn't taste, like, the flavors that they said they were. Like, mine was supposed to be, like, a caramel apple. And, I mean, it tasted caramely, but barely any apple. That's weird. Yeah. And then she ordered a pumpkin something and it barely tasted like pumpkin like mainly you could just taste like the nutmeg you know what i mean and that's pretty much like mm -hmm. but it barely had like an actual pumpkin flavor to it like it just had like the actual like fall spices that you put in like most fall desserts not just pumpkin pie um so i mean like i said they were good yeah. just they're also kind of pricey there um when for some reason when I expected like a twenty ouncer, like I was expecting like a larger cup. But no, it was like kind of small. It was like Dunkin' Donuts mediums, if not smaller. Actually, yeah. I really feel like Dunkin' Donuts mediums are still bigger than what we got today. It was just weird. It was really weird. Um But and also books and millions books are like super expensive, by the way. I was looking at because I just like wanted to get a new book because you know me like I'm a, I'm I love reading books and I have a Kindle and I also have the Kindle app on my phone and I also have other reading apps that I use on my phone, um, but sometimes I just like the physical book, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I've seen their prices. I walked out of the store with like no books. I did get some really cute, um bookmarkers so they're magnetic ones and they're cats <laughs> they're so cute but 
uh, which those were surprisingly only $3 and you got four in the pack. So, but yeah, like their books, like there's this, there's like a few, like there's like, I think two Stephen, yeah, there's two Stephen King books or no, I'm sorry. One was a Stephen King book and the other one was just from another author, but Stephen King read it and mm -hmm. did like a rape review on it. I was like, well, if he likes it, you know, it's going to be good. But the thing was like yeah. 20 bucks. I was like, holy crap. Like, maybe books just went up, but like, I looked the same book up on Amazon and it was only like $14. You know what I mean? Now, maybe Amazon just gets better deals because like they very much bulk order. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm not sure. But, um, which let me. So the one book was called Salem's Lot. That one's by Stephen King. And actually, like, if you get the one that's on Amazon, the actual book glows in the dark. That's cool. And then the other one, the other book I was interested in, is called The Last House on Needless Street. Or Needless Street. Sorry. Sorry. Screwed up that title. The Last House on Needleless Street. I keep... Okay. I don't know how many times I have to keep going over this book title. And why do I keep saying Needleless Street? It's just Needless. The Last House on Needleless Street. <laughs> I'm probably going to mess up how to pronounce her name. Because I'm horrible at pronouncing stuff. Like, you should hear me trying to pronounce medication names. So, like... Mm. Catriona, Catriona Ward. I mean, I think they're gonna be good books. I'm gonna order them on Amazon. There was another one I was interested in, but uh, the other one I was interested in was from Edgar Alec. Oh my God, I said Alec. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Alan. Oh, Jesus God! Oh, I'm trying to find the book. Oh, it's called The Raven. Tales and Pose. Oh, yeah, I so, know that one. Yeah. We read that in high school. Too. Really? My high school sucked. We didn't read shit. Yep. Read like, that in high school. I can't say we didn't read anything. We did, but we didn't have, like, books to read like other schools did. Like, I think only in middle school we did that. And the only... Two books I can remember reading, like, as in a whole class would have to do, was Holes and Sounder. Sounder. How do you pronounce the dog's name? I think it's Sounder. I mean, I, and it's a good thing, like, I'm an avid reader, so it's just, like, it's always in good in school. But, like, yeah, they really need to change that, like. I feel like more people, like, people need to read more. No, I'm not saying, like, to force people to read. But that's how, like, people find out, like, what they like to read, though. Is doing, like, group present or not presentations, but, like, pretty much, like, a review of the book, in a way. And, like, a breakdown of it. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I really wish it, well, you know, they kind of used to let horror books be in school. 
but now they don't have How to Kill a Mockingbird. There were some short stories that I remember reading one picture class. I can't tell you the names of them to save my life. I can tell you what they were about. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so if anyone's listening, I would love to um, hear some feedback of what you guys like to read. Like, just go on Facebook and like in the comments of when we post this episode and you'll see it there like just you know comment what you like to read like what are some of your favorite books because i want some new reading material i i go through books like constantly because it only takes me usually about two to three days to read a novel so i'm looking for some new novels so please drop some comments on some novel recommendations here but yeah, so guys, we're going to get into some creepy pastas. So I'm going to read two different stories and everyone has to guess or, well, Kat has to guess because I'm not really going to hear back from you guys, I guess. Um, Kat has to guess which one's true and which one's creepy. Pasta. Why is that weird? Whatever. Anyways, so let's start out with I drive for Uber. It is by no means a glamorous profession, but it keeps my bills paid and the roof of my small studio apartment over my head. I truly love the freedom it allows me. While I'm not technically my own boss, per se, I do get to choose my hours and which deliveries I want to make. I'm guessing some of you know people who drive for Lyft or Uber as a side hustle or a way to make some decent supplemental income. I, however, looked into making it my full-time job as I live and work in New York City. You might see some interesting, interesting people while out on the job, um, only for a brief while before you never see them again. Wait, what? Sorry, one second. You might see some interesting people while out on the job a bite only for a brief while before you s never see them again which brings me to last saturday i had just clocked in and was driving about the city when right around 7 30 p.m my phone dinged alerting me that a pickup needed to be made i looked into the details of the job and saw that the customer was nearby it wouldn't be too long before i got there Maybe five minutes or so, which always makes me worry, as I hate to keep people waiting. I turned down a street where I saw him standing there in front of a rather unscale apartment building. Or, I'm sorry, upscale. I don't know why I said unscale. Upscale apartment building. Um, he was a taller, good-looking man with short, dark hair and dressed in a nice blue suit. I pulled up in front of him and rolled down my window. Hey! Did you order an Uber? Um, oh yeah. He confusedly spurred out, are you Jeff? I confirmed that I was and pulled out my phone and began scrolling to find where it would say his name. As it was getting dark, it was getting harder to see. I was squinting at my phone screen. So that means that you must be, I said, struggling to find his name, Bradley. The man interrupted, sounded a little irritated the whole about the whole situation. Bradley Carson. I scrolled for a bit longer. Uh, yes, there you are. Okay, climb on in. 
I said, setting my phone down and backing or beckoning him to get in the back seat of my 2006 Toyota Corolla. I gotta give you credit, man. You got here a lot faster than I thought you would. He complimented. Thanks. It's something that we're working hard to improve on, I responded. Uh, don't you guys normally send a text when you arrive at someone's place, though? He asked. Normally, yes. But seeing as how I could see you just standing outside, looking like you were waiting for a cab, I figured I would just up and ask, I answered. Accepting my explanation, he got in the back seat, he, and we headed off. Not long after he got in the car, I began to try to make small talk, which admittedly was not my strong suit. So, what's the occasion, I asked. Oh, um, I'm meeting my fiancé and her parents for dinner downtown, he replied, while pulling out his phone. Oh, that sounds lovely. Congratulations on the engagement, I said earnestly. Thank you, he said, disinterestedly, while messing around on his phone. How long have you guys been together, I asked. Six and a half years, he answered, not looking up from his phone. That's nice. Is tonight someone's birthday dinner? I inquired. No, nothing like that. Her parents are just visiting from Minnesota, and we're going out to one of their favorite steakhouses in the city, he answered, still not making an effort to look up from his phone. Do you mind if I put some SKA? I asked. It's some of my favorite music. I'm good with whatever, man, he said in a monotone voice. I'm going to lie. I'm not sure he actually processed what I asked, but it was whatever. And on that, I threw on some fun, bouncy SKA music. I thought it made for a great soundtrack for the evening. I drove around for another 10 minutes or so, occasionally glancing in the rearview mirror to see my passenger was still deeply entranced by whatever was on his phone. I got the feeling he was just doing whatever it took to avoid more awkward conversation. Can't blame him, really. We were almost to a stop anyways. Um, not more than two minutes later, I pulled up to his destination and honked the horn thrice, this seemingly getting his attention. All right, here we are, I said. Matter-of-factly, before he could respond, though, his phone went off. He picked it up and stared intently at it for a quick second. What followed was a short, eerie pause. Uh, Jeff? He said shakily. Why did I just get a text saying that my Uber has arrived at my apartment? Hmm, that's strange, I murmured. Hold on. This isn't the steakhouse. He, he stated, his brow now furrowed. Just then, a large, balding man wearing a stained white tank top and gray sweatpants emerged from those apartment buildings to our right and stood there on his stoop. I rolled down my passenger side window to talk to him. Hey, Chet, he's in the back seat. I yelled, pointing backwards at Bradley with my thumb. Yo, what is this? Bradley said, suddenly very confused at that. Chet came rumbling down the stairs and over to my car before stopping at the open window. You did good, Mikey.
he said while tossing me a stack of hundred dollar bills. Mikey, he said with a very confused look on his face. Sorry, dude. I respond with a half-hearted shrug. Yo, let me out. Let me out. Let me out of here. Bradley pleaded while trying to find the door lock. It wouldn't be long before the door would be open, but not by Bradley. Chet forced it open and began to wrestle with Bradley. While Bradley certainly appeared to be in decent shape and was at least 20 years younger than Chet, he was caught well off guard and Chet was a big dude. Get off of me, you bastard! Bradley shouted while clawing at Chet. He had Oh, he had fight in him. I'll give him that. But Chet was relentless, and in the end, he is—he was no match for him. Not long into their struggle, that struggle, Chet produced a rag soaked in noxious chemicals from his back pocket, and applied it to Bradley's nose and mouth. And just in a few short seconds later, he was out like a light. Thanks again, kid. Chet said with a nod before dragging Bradley's limp body out of the car, up the stairs, and into his apartment. I sat outside Chet's apartment for the next 15 minutes or so, counting the money he had given me. I had netted myself a cool 10 grand for that job. You see, Chet and his friends are a group of cannibals, and they employ me to bring them their meals. Now I can hear some of you asking, and yes, I do in fact work for Uber. Just not in the traditional sense. I don't pick people up and drive them to their destinations. I look into open jobs. Uh, and if one of and if one is close to me and Chet is hungry, I swing by and pick them up. But instead of taking them to a bar or a restaurant or what have you, I take them to Chet, who, as you see, pays handsomely. Now, sure. I could just pick people up and take them to their destinations and make a couple hundred bucks here and there, but working for Chet pays a lot better. It's great, really. People see me pull up with the Uber sticker on my car, happy that their ride arrived earlier than expected, and don't think twice about getting in. I have to say, I really love it when people get lost in their phones and stop paying attention to their surroundings. It makes my job a lot easier. So that was the first story. Last summer, I started going on walks at night. It was a good play or good way to relieve myself from the stresses of life, most depressing of which were work and trying to be a good parent for my daughter. It was easier during the school year when she would be at kindergarten while I was at work, but this obviously wasn't an option from late June to early September. I couldn't leave her at home alone, and I didn't get off work until 3 p.m. at the earliest, so she needed a daycare which placed an even higher financial burden on us, which in turn meant I often had to work longer hours. The struggles of making a living as a single parent often discolored, often discolored how I viewed the world. The innumerable days lost vibrancy and I found myself falling into a deep depression. I did everything within my power to remain a beacon of security for my daughter but I knew she could see my despair. Children are quite intuitive when it comes to sensing the emotions of their parents. 
She was my only comfort, and I ensured our home remained a stable place for her to grow. One night after I put her to bed, I sat on the porch for a while and watched the sun set. As the last pink ray disappeared behind the trees, I found myself staring up at the dark blue sky full of faint stars. For the first time in months, some of, some of, some of the color had returned to life. I went inside to check up on my daughter, who was already fast asleep. I quietly slipped out of the front door and gently closed it behind me. I figured no harm would come from me taking a short walk. The night air was refreshing, and the Pennsylvania back roads I lived on were quiet, save for the living, or safe for the living buzzing of insects. There are only a few houses on my street interspaced among thick stretches of deep forest. At the end of the road, about a mile from my house, was a small rustic church, no longer used by any congregation. I walked as far as there and did a lap around its empty parking lot before heading home. By the time I was on my porch again, it had been almost an hour. I wanted to stay out later, but I had to work the next morning. As I settled into bed that night, I realized there was something new I loved doing, and the world felt a little brighter. For the remainder of the summer, I continued going on walks to the church and back nightly. It was my one escape from life, where I could go, or where I could just enjoy myself without responsibility. I even began leaving my phone at home, so there would truly be no distractions that would creep into my downtime. I'm sure my neighbors thought I was weird, as a few of them would occasionally drive past me on the dark, narrow road. I would always wave to them and smile as they passed, but I can only imagine how it felt to be driving through a tunnel of trees on a dark night, only to see someone standing on the side of the road. I probably unintentionally scared the shit out of at at least one person. Eventually, the air began to bite. The leaves ripped to a crispy brown. I maintained my habitual walks well into the fall, but it soon became too cold to continue going on them. I had to stop for the winter, and once again, the color drained from the world. The two things that kept me going were my daughter and the knowledge that I would be able to resume my night walks as soon as the warm air began to return. After a few months, that lasted for an eternity, spring reared itself once again. The grass turned Easter basket green and small budding leaves peppered the barren woods. My daughter was happy to be able to play outside and I was grateful to resume the one activity that brought peace to my life, blissfully unaware that said activity would soon be the catalyst which would tear my life apart. It was early July. I had made it as far as the old church and was surprised to find that the parking lot was occupied this time. On the side of the building where the parking lot ended and the wood line began was a single nondescript or descript van. It was white and had no windows, save for the driver and passenger doors. It was the exact kind of van 
One would stereotype as being driven by a balding old man who offered candy to children. It was very unsettled to see the vehicle, but I forced myself not to think too much of it. I told myself if somebody was moving something into or out of the old church and had left the van there overnight. Still, I hastened my lap around the parking lot upon seeing it. It made me eager to start my way trek back home. I found myself walking in the middle of the road. Normally, I would walk on the furthest left-hand side of any vehicle, so if any vehicles coming up behind me could pass easily, but that night, something about the air was different. The rustling of the wildlife around me kept changing between being aggressively heavy and deathly still, and I was afraid when walking too close to the woods, the center of the road made me feel or made me an easy target for an un for an oncoming motorist, but at least nothing could reach out and grab me unexpectedly. When I was about a third of the way back home, I heard something in the forest I hadn't heard before. It sounded like a distant voice faintly echoing through the trees. Though I couldn't he- I couldn't hear it very clearly, my skin chilled and my breath halted. I crept forward slowly. The only thing continuing to propel me onward was the thought that I had to get home to be truly safe. I soon fully understood what it was that I was hearing. It was a woman's voice, maybe some hundred feet or so back in the woods. She was crying, sobbing. Her voice was strained, and she sounded like she was in agonizing pain. Immediately, dozens of scenarios played out in my mind, each one more terrible than the last. I then remembered that I did not have my phone on me, who or whatever was in those woods. I had a responsibility to my daughter. I had to ensure my own safety, so I sprinted home as fast as my legs would carry me. It still took me almost five minutes to get there. When I got inside, I immediately called 911. I told them there was a woman in the woods near my home. It took the police 15 minutes to arrive at my door. When they did, I told them what happened or had happened. Those damn officers couldn't wrap their heads around why I was out walking to begin with. It took another 20 minutes for them to even drive to where I had heard the voices and shine a light into the woods nothing. They told me someone would do a search in the area the next day. I didn't sleep that night. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't stop thinking about the voice. I also couldn't escape the feeling the police didn't take my claim seriously. They would, though. Morning came. I dropped my daughter off at daycare, and I went to work. I was drowsy, and my performance suffered as a result. By the time I had gone off work, though, I had completely forgotten about the events of the night prior. Said events remained out of my mind until I was driving back home and saw three squad cars parked on the side of the road next to where I had heard the voice. An officer was next to one of the vehicles and waved me me to pass by. I slowed down and asked him what had happened. He was vague but said there had been an accident from 
from how he looked across from me and back, I could tell he was hesitant to speak freely in front of my daughter. I felt my stomach drop but kept driving. I knew right away something terrible had happened. I wouldn't find out until a day later, though, when everyone in our community was talking about it. A body had been found in the woods, the body of a young woman, college age to be specific. There were deep lacerations all over her. The investigators determined that she had been horribly abused elsewhere and left to bleed out in the woods alone. It had been a slow, torturous death, and it could have been prevented if someone had only helped her in time. I told the police about the white van I had seen next to the church that night. Of course, nothing ever came of it. Nothing came of the rest of the case either. It went completely cold. I saw the faces of the grieving parents on the news talking about the in incredible person their daughter had been. Every time I saw her face, I was reminded of my own daughter. A terrible fear overwhelmed my life. The fear of knowing she was being raised into the world where someone or where something like that could potentially happen to her someday. I started drinking after that routinely like clockwork until I would stop thinking and be able to fall asleep. I also stopped I also stopped taking night walks for a while anyways. Why would I want to risk experiencing something like that again but then the realization set in that maybe i could have done something what if i had conquered my fear and just called out back to her what if i had my cell phone on me and i was able to call for help right away who was to say whoever had murdered the first woman wouldn't leave another victim to die in the woods i started taking my walks again about two months after the incident. I took my time during them, trying to drag them out for as long as possible by lingering. I figured I was maximizing the possibility of hearing somebody else if they needed me. I had always brought my phone with me then, as well as a flashlight. My neighbor soon took notice that I was back to my old pattern again. This time, though, they started treating me with hostility and suspicion. Never mind that. I was the one who heard the young woman and called the police. I was now the weird man who was still stalking the roads after a local tragedy. They stopped waving to me cautiously when, um, or I'm sorry, they stopped waving to me casually when we passed each other. If we met in public, they would pretend they didn't see me. My daughter even told me that many of the kids we went, she went to school with said I was a freak and that her or their parents instructed them to avoid me. By extent, that included her. At night, my walks lasted longer each time. I became obsessed with the thought that maybe if I stayed out just a little longer, I would have the opportunity to help someone else. It reached a tipping point when I had just gone home from work but couldn't escape the feeling that the night was different. I had to work the next morning, but how could one day's or one day's performance at my job ever compare in value to the life of another person? I went on a second walk that night. I heard nothing. Nothing happened. 
My performance was terrible the next day. My boss even sent me home early. Normally, I got off work an hour before my daughter was let out from daycare, but now I had most of the day still ahead of me. I decided to take a nap for a few hours. I figured I'd set my alarm and be awake before I had to pick her up. However, in my tired state, I had forgotten to change my alarm from a.m. to p.m. I was woken up 15 minutes after I was supposed to be there for her by the sound of my phone ringing as she called to ask where I was. She wouldn't say anything to me as we drove home. That night, I couldn't sleep after that nap or after the nap I had. So even though it was counterintuitive, I took another night walk. And so I, it continued. I kept performing worse and worse each day. My relationship with my daughter strained. The tiredness only amplified my paranoid sense of responsibility to act. Next time some sick monster dumped another victim in the woods, I'd be there. All the while, my drinking kept increasing to numb the discomfort from the stress. I got fired three months ago. My boss brought me into the office and told me to sit down. I knew what was going to happen before it did. My performance had deteriorated so much. It just wasn't profitable to employ me anymore. I didn't find work after that, and due to circumstances of my firing, I didn't qualify to receive unemployment benefits. I had enough money saved away to last me for a little while, but life quickly burned through it. And soon, I had to decide between paying my rent and putting food in my daughter's mouth. The choice was obvious, but it was still devastating to receive a notice of eviction. The worst was yet to come. Homelessness was not an option for a young child. With no relative for my daughter to live with, child services got involved. I was forced to take a psychological welfare test, the results of which, along with failure to hold down a job, led the government to conclude I was an unfit to be a parent. I still remember my daughter's screams as social workers pulled her away from me and told her she had to go with them. That was two days ago. I haven't heard anything about her since. I'm writing this now from one of my computers at the public library. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I miss my daughter so much and wish I could tell her I'm sorry for failing as a parent. Okay, so those both stories. That's really sad. Yeah. So I... Yeah. No, I was just saying, like, that was just a crazy story. Yeah. I tend to think that that one's the real one, because if you deliver people to cannibals and you go online to tell people about it, you're an idiot. Well, so you are right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's a such thing as, like, 4chan and stuff like that, where that crazy shit fucking happens. Yeah. So. But I'm just taking yeah. it, like, in the United yeah. States. There's no way you'd get away with that nowadays. Especially with the way the way Uber and Lyft and all them work. Yeah. They would what? track your patterns. They could track... I mean, he was on his cell phone the entire time, so they would track his cell phone. Because it would be pinging off of towers. Oh, yeah. It would follow him up into the point where they reached the, the apartment building. And then it would go inside because he had his phone on him. Crazy that stuff like that actually does happen, though. 
Yeah. If it were me personally, like, I would have grabbed my daughter and just moved out of that town. Yeah, for real. Instead of, <clears throat> like, staying and continuing to walk up and down. Like, I get why he was distraught. And suffering yeah. from, like, mental illness and stuff after that. Because, you know, like, literally a college girl died. Right. But. But, like, you're just making yourself look guilty. I mean, this is just a story, like, in general. So. <sighs> Driving a bus. I'm not sure how many people dream that they could do that when they were kids. But one thing I know for sure is that I did. I started learning everything I could, and soon I became a bus driver. At first, everything seemed really nice. Nice modern buses, friendly co-workers and passengers, and lovely routes. Well, except for one. It was a suburban route which connected the center of the city I work in to a little village on the outskirts. Not all of the people used that route. And buses would usually run empty along it. I was, I always liked interacting with the passengers, so I didn't want to drive on a route which hardly had any, at least, that's what I'd say to everyone. But truth be told, there's another reason. Every driver who has been assigned the evening shift on that route has gone mad within days of working on it. I never knew why that kept happening, and I hoped I would never find out, but unfortunately, I did. The driver who was supposed to take the evening shift refused to come to work. The route needed to be operated, so they assigned me to it instead. A part of me wanted to avoid coming to work and make up an excuse for not showing up. But another part of me was like, um, I'm being ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with this route. Everything will be all right. I took the shift. It was winter, so it was getting dark quite early. I came to the terminus in the city center and took over from my work coworker. I made two loops on the route and transported maybe 10 passengers in total. And even they were just traveling a couple stops and would get off before the bus would even reach the suburbs. I was making my third loop on the route and my bus was empty. Around me was complete darkness. I could just barely see in front of my bus thanks to my headlights. But outside of them, there was nothing but barely visible, uh, but barely visible, whatever, leafless trees and old abandoned houses. Winter was just starting and there wasn't any snow yet, so I didn't even have it to glow or I didn't even have that to glow in the dark and make the ride slightly less creepy. It almost seemed like I was in an endless black void. At one point, I looked at my mirror and saw a lady in a long dress and a man sitting in the back of the bus. Um, I don't remember getting, I don't remember them getting on, I thought. I managed to convince myself that I must have been preoccupied by watching the creepy darkness around me and thinking about why my co-workers would go mad after driving on this route that i simply didn't notice them getting on i had reached the last stop i had a couple of minutes before my next de departure 
I would usually use it for a bathroom break, but it was so dark outside that I I feared I might get lost if I left my bus. But then I noticed the lady and the man at the back. I thought maybe they got on the wrong bus and didn't know that this is the last stop. I walked over to the back to tell them, but as I got close, the lady looked up at me. She and the man turned white. The lady let out a horrifying screech. Just then, loads of other people appeared around me, all dressed in vintage clothing and all as pale as the lady and the man. They all started screaming. I covered my ears. Just then, a man who was just sitting next to the lady up until this point got up and walked up to me. He grabbed my head with his cold hand and pulled it close to his. I got a look into his eyes, and I'll never forget what I saw. It was so disturbing that I'm not even sure how to describe it. The man whispered into my ear in a raspy voice, You're not the one. Okay. <laughs> After that, everyone disappeared. I checked my watch and saw that it was departure time. I had no more passengers for the rest of the, my shift, regular or paranormal. I continued working on the route for the next week. I lasted longer than the drivers who worked on it before me. Every night, the same thing would happen. Uh, you would think that after a while, I'd get used to it and it would no longer be so scary, but that was not the case. It scared me every time. Thankfully, I haven't been assigned to that route since then. I managed to stay sane. I also managed to find out who the people I was encountering were. Apparently... A tragic accident happened in the village many years ago. A bus crashed and a fire which burned down most of the village started. All the passengers on the bus or on board that bus lived there, but not a single one of them survived the accident. Now their spirits haunt that bit of the bus route looking for the driver who was driving the bus on that night of the accident. So so they could get revenge. But when they see that a driver is not the driver they're looking for, they just go away. Even though they do no physical harm, one look into their eyes is, is enough to make a driver ask to be assigned to a different route. Enough looks and the driver goes mad. I still have nightmares to this day. I wake up covered in sweat. I don't know if I'll ever get over those encounters. But something I do know is that I'm quitting my job right then and there if I ever get assigned to that horrible route again. I mean, I wouldn't leave, personally. Because they already told you you're not the one they're looking for. Yeah. They're just going to do a bunch of screaming and then tell you you can leave. Yeah. So. <laughs> but anything you want to add to this recording? Um, expect to see a name change over the week. Yeah. Um, we can go more into depth on that on the next episode. Uh, by the way, this is going to be only one of two episodes that are coming out this week. So hopefully I'll have this edited and up Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. Um, 
but I think officially we're going to have everything changed over by Thursday. Yep. Um, I think that's about it, honestly. Uh, all right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.